there. <laughs> Sarah Stover here. Michael Stover. Uh, and we are a part of the Valor Media Vlogcast. <laughs> Vlogcast. So we are going to be introducing to you guys Chuck DeGroote, mm-hmm. who wrote the brilliant book, When Narcissism Comes to the Church. Much needed. Yes. It, when, we, when we were flipping through different books and everything, we spotted when narcissism comes to the church and we're like, wow, that needs to be written. Yes. So not only did we feel like we had to read it after we read it, we felt like we need to have a mom valor. For sure. And in light of so many scandals and narcissistic characters coming to surface over the last 2020 to 2021 currently, it's relevant. So you, this is a must-have book and you'll see from the interview and getting to know Chuck and um, some valuable content in the video that's great takeaways as well. Without further ado, we will now introduce to you Chuck D. Grote. A year or so ago, I, I read a lot of IVP books, so... When I started yours, I was like, that's good timing (laughs) with everything going on, you know, and, um, you know, Julie Royce's report and, you know, um, it really, it's needed, but it's also sobering. Yeah. Um, But it's neat. We need to talk about this. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, When narcissism comes to the church, and I don't have the cover on it because <laughs> I have a habit of taking the you know cover off when I read because it slips a lot. But um, for those of you who don't know, this is the book right here. And I'll, I'll put a link on the website and everything. Um, and I was happy to see that you are familiar with some influencers and authors I read like Diane Langberg and um, the uh, Peace Cazaro. Uh, mm-hmm. Man. So needed. So I wanted to first actually introduce you to everyone who may not know you, kind of mm-hmm. who is Chuck DeGroat type thing. Yeah, great. And uh, so could you tell me, to, uh, you know, tell me about your background. How, what do you do? Uh, what is your passion? Why did you get into this topic? And I know it's controversial, too, because... Um, and one sense is needed, but the people who are the voices at first talking about this take a lot of heat as well. So it's like, oh, why are you picking on this word or, you know, that kind of thing. So love for you to go ahead and introduce yourself and, um, yeah. and then we can dive into your book. Yeah. Well, um, thank you, by the way, for, for having me uh, on. Um, Anytime. I- I'm currently a professor of uh, pastoral care and Christian spirituality at Western Theological Seminary um, in Holland, Michigan. I was a pastor for a long time. And so I like to joke around and say it's sort of like being a player and then you go up into the booth and now you comment on what all the players are doing, you know, but uh, what, uh, you know, as, as it applies to the topic of the book, I really like being involved in the on the ground work with future pastors, right? I mean, so I, I like to be very proactive in developing emotionally and spiritually healthy uh, women and men for ministry. And so uh, that's really important to me. And uh, not just reacting to a problem out there, right? But being uh, very, very proactive in the spiritual growth life 
emotional growth life with pastors. So I do that work. I'm a therapist, a licensed therapist. And so um, a lot of the work that I do are uh, is around like a five-day intensive counseling uh, experience. I think that's where I see the most transformation. Yeah. I do that, do that with a lot of pastors, uh, pastors and spouses. Um uh, uh, as, as a way of, of really sort of deeply engaging them in the work of, of naming some of the pain, some of the trauma, mm-hmm. you can, you wouldn't be surprised that people have written over the last year or so, since the book has come out with their stories of pain, trauma, abuse, and it's real, it's a privilege to be, uh, to be helpful. I, I get too many emails. I, I can't be helpful to everyone. Right. But, uh, yeah, right. I, I've, I've tried to at least sort of engage and honor people's stories because I mean, you're probably having me on because you hear the stories of pain and oh, yeah. church. And so, so uh, yeah, I'm married 26 years to Sarah. We have got two daughters. Uh, we're just about to be empty nesters. And so um, I'm both terrified and excited about that season <laughs> of life. Uh, yeah. So yeah, that's a little bit about me, a writer, author. Yeah. Nice. I have a Sarah too, and I have a daughter. So yes, daughters are the best, aren't they? Yes, you know there, there's something about they just soften you. Your there's a part of I don't know how to describe it. You know, yeah. it just softens your heart. Um, yeah. But that's all you need to say. <laughs> I'm, I'm totally with you. Yeah, we're preparing for my daughter. Her name's Gracie. Her two year old birthday. It's going to be uh, a couple of days. So uh, <laughs> big shift. Um, let me let me go into. I wrote a few questions and so forth that can help. I'm uh, also familiar with uh, s- several other uh, interviews you've had. Um, yeah, I-, I love that you're blended in the community with boundaries. How important that is. Yeah. Um, so I-, I just am excited to share what you know and what you wrote about because it's you know I- I'm in a lot of groups with people who have gone through a lot of pain and I'm sure you're familiar with complex trauma, for example. Uh, and it's, I, I would say it's a, a big need in the church. Mm-hmm. Some of the damage has been done by narcissists. Yeah. So, you know, navigating that going forward is just very helpful. But um, I want to say first that one of the, one of our missions at Valor is to decrease the follow-away rate of the youth leaving the church and, mm-hmm opinion um is not is narcissistic leadership in the church uh and you know is it an uh, it, 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 unhealthy church leadership structure connected to the fall away rate of the yeah youth yeah 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 that's a really that's a really good question and i think i think that yeah I, there's a there's probably a, a real connection there if not a correlation right i mean i think part of it has to do with um you know, it used to be that we went to our doctors and we went to our pastors and they had authority, you know, and uh, whatever my doctor says, that's what I'm going to do. Whatever my, you know, my pastor says, that's what I'm going to do. But we're in a day when, you know, the, the people, politicians, uh, lawyers, doctors, pastors, psychiatrists, whatever, whatever it is, we don't have as, as much credibility, uh, authority, yeah. you know, the, the, the doctor says, wear your mask for COVID. And so it says, no, 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 I'm not going to wear it, whatever it is. Right. So. Um, and then we we divide churches over this now, right? Well, so yeah. I do think that uh, you know uh, 
gener- the younger generation in particular, um, as they as they see pastors who don't have the integrity to to lead well and wisely and from a place that they can trust, they say, "Well, I don't know if I can't trust him or her. I'm not sure that I can trust this this story of God." You know, yeah. I'm not sure that I can if I can trust the one that they're mm-hmm. talking about, and so. And so this crisis of authority is has sort of reached God, if you if you could put it that way, right? And and uh, and I do think that there's a sense of like I don't know that I can even trust that God is going to be there, that God is trustworthy, that um, God will be present in the midst of my pain. You know, maybe right. God is maybe God is just as cruel or twisted or hypocritical as you know this pastor is, and so uh, th- this is. This leads to trauma, right? When people are betrayed in these kinds of ways, this is why we, I, I love that you named trauma at the outset of our time together, because um, it's not as easy as, as saying, well, just trust your pastor or just go to a different church. It's not that easy when you've experienced trauma. You have to do the work of detangling, untangling that with with someone who knows the landscape of pain. Oh, yeah. um, and that's, that's significant work. And so I have a lot of empathy for people who are, whatever the word you want to use, deconstructing their faith because of the trauma they experience. I'm not one of these people who are cynical, like, ah, they got to get it together as fast as they can, you know. Um, and I like that your heart is with them too. How, how do we create the kind of church that they want to be a part of? You know, how do we introduce them to a story and a God who's safe, yeah. uh, a story that will contain their stories? Yeah, that's a good, you're hitting the heart of it. Um, so that is a good question. Uh, what, what does that look like practically in a safe yeah. Well, so safety is, is such an important word. I was just, um, last hour, I was just sitting with a pastor who uh, has experienced some significant trauma and um, they were doing a, their church staff was doing something on what are the core values? What are the core needs even of our staff members? And he, he said safety. It was really interesting. Um, that, that core need of his is really connected to his story of pain, his story of trauma, right? He needs to know that this is a place where, uh, you know, what you say is is what you mean, who you are, um, will be demonstrated and how you show up. Um, your, your integrity and keeping your word. You know, I, he needs to know that if, uh, if you're my supervisor, you're my lead pastor and you could commit to mentoring me that you're going to be there week in and week out. You're going to be, you're going to show up curiously. Um, that's like, that's, <laughs> uh, yeah, right. Well, I'm like, you're speaking my language too. I mean, that's, that's significant, you know? And, and, um, I think that, when I was exploring this topic of narcissism, well, this goes back 20 some odd years for me and my work, my work in the church. Um, you know, a lot of the environments where we see narcissistic leadership are high energy, type A, performative, not every environment. There are different kinds of narcissistic leadership, but and a I lot of can unpack that too, because I think you said uh, what, nine or more? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, we can, we can sort of tease that out, but I think, uh, I mean, I, a lot of what we see is in like more performative spaces, you know, where it's like, I'm not, I don't really care who you are, Mike. I just need to know what you can do. I just need yeah. to know that you're going to be successful. I need to know that you're going to grow our youth group. 
you know, over these next three or five years, right? Which is to an end. Yeah, that's right. And so then you don't feel valued. You don't feel known. You're just a commodity. So, I mean, I think that that's where, how does it play out practically? Well, it's, it's about creating the kinds of um, emotionally and spiritually healthy environments. Pete Scazzaro talks about this a lot, right? This is why we all like him and read his stuff about creating those kinds of environments where there is going to be health, safety, wholeness, um, faithfulness. I mean, let's just go through the fruits of the spirit, gentleness, love, joy, peace. I mean, where there's an environment where those qualities can show up. Yeah. That's, yeah. How do you foster that kind of an environment? Um, yeah. As in with uh, probably spiritual disciplines, but we take yeah. for granted, we just talk about them loosely, but yeah, everybody understands these words and what does it mean practically? Yeah. So how do you foster that kind of environment? I mean, I think, I think that um, the, the tricky thing there is that there are a lot of different ways of doing that. Um, you know, I think the books that tend to sell are the ones that are like, here's the secret key to fostering the, you know, and yeah. it's, it's this kind of leader or these spiritual disciplines or this systemic solution. Right. And I think it all comes into play. I think healthy leadership, um, again, Pete, Pete's work, uh, contributes to that Ruth Haley Barton's work on, um, healthy leadership is really, really important. I think a commitment to, uh, practices, Jamie Smith's work on the, um, the liturgies, you know, the way, the way the, the practices um, of, of, of the church, right? The, the way that we live out our faith, um, faithful participation in the story of God um, in an ongoing way. I think that's a really big part of, of it. I think systemic health, the systems and structures um, that are in place that contribute to accountability and transparency and uh, mutuality and encouragement and, you know, all those kinds of things. So I don't know, know that there's a one size fits all or, yeah. you know, there's no, there's, hack. There's, there's, <laughs> no, there's no hack. There's no, yeah. there's, there's a magic bullet. Right. Um, but I do think that there are, there are some really great conversations happening, you know, Ruth Haley Barton on spiritual practices, yeah. Jim and Trish, Jim Herrick and Trisha Taylor on, on, on leadership, transformative leadership, um, Todd Bolsinger on, on adaptive leadership. I think Wade Mullins work on systems, um, healthy and unhealthy systems. Um, all of, I mean, there are just so many of these things come into play. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's very encouraging because it shows that in spite of the negativity going on, there's healthy things going on too. Oh, yes. Yes. Um, I would, here's a question. Um, how to break the chain of enablement of narcissistic abuse. Yeah. That seems to be a big trap because it kind of ties people pleasing, fear of man. Yeah. Yeah, So uh, here again, it's a really good question without a simple answer to it. Right. Um, I mean, um, you know, someone once said to me, well, we just need to ask these narcissistic leaders to repent. And I said, I wish it was that easy. Yeah, easier said uh, than done. Yeah, yeah I, I, I did some consulting work with a large church where uh, we, uh, in, in the end, the narcissistic leader was asked to leave. And every, the staff said, oh, we're good now. 
No, they weren't good because some of the toxic patterns had made their way into the systems and structures and into the ways of relating and the patterns of, uh, of accountability and, and, um, and into the ethos of the church. Right. And so, um, it's 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 really tricky because here again I think we need to approach this at a in a sort of multi level way. I mean I um, I want to think about the um, I want to think about the narcissistic leaders and I want to think about why well, why do we per- perpetuate narcissistic leaders in the church? What are um, is there? Let me just put it this way: Is there like a collective and even cultural sort of um, uh, environment that contributes to narcissistic leadership. In other words, you and I both live in the United States of America. We've got a story of manifest destiny. We've got a story of conquer, of victory, of, you know, and, and we, we really like stories like that. You know, we like to watch movies where there's a victory in the end. Um, we like to tell the stories of success, successes in the battlefield. Um, it's not a surprise to me that we've got any number of pastors and networks right now using language of war, of conquest, of victory. Um, uh, wh- why is that the case? Why do we have this kind of winner-take-all mentality when it comes to um, church leadership when Jesus is the suffering servant? You know, Jesus is the one who uh, does not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but uh, makes himself nothing, you know, taking the form of a servant, right? We, that's the language. That's the Christ hymn. The way of Jesus is very different than the way of the conquering, almost like military leader of, of, of the, the church plant or the mega church today, right? And so there are a lot of pieces of this, right? Not just the leaders and their health, but the mental models that we operate by, the systems that we operate in. There are a lot of pieces to this, right? Yeah, systems a big part. That, yeah, uh, it's interesting because there's a uh, concept of systematic theology. It's like, oh yeah, it's a system. <laughs> mm-hmm. So yeah, and systemic uh, narcissism, right? Systemic narcissism. It's not just. It's a feeder system. In other words, um, there's a, a really uh, important theorist named Gerald Post who said there are. Um, the mirror hungry leaders. In other words, they look to the congregation as their mirror and it's like feed my ego, but they're also the followers. He calls them the ideal hungry followers who are like, be the person I need you to be, be my, my ideal leader, you know? And, and so there's a reciprocal relationship. And, and so we have to ask ourselves, how are we participate participating in the perpetuation of narcissistic leadership, even if we're not narcissistic? Yeah. We prop these guys up. How, how do we do that? Because I think some of us are aware, maybe we need to get better at it, but some yeah. of us aren't aware that we're doing it. How yeah. do we aware that we're doing it in the first place? You know, enabling yeah. and platforming these people. Yeah, well, I mean, I think I think we have to look at uh, some of our own psychological needs that get met when we prop these people up. You know, I, I mean, I do think that there's this is an old story in Scripture, right? God wanted to be the king of Israel, but they were like, "No, give us our own king. Yeah, um, give us a king that we can manage, maneuver, manipulate. Give us a king that you know." Um, this is a this is the story. You know, God says, "Let me lead," and we're like, "No, we'll build towers." 
um, up to the skies, you know. We've been playing this game. Jesus comes and says, I'm, I'm Lord, I'm Messiah, I'm Savior. And we're like, no, you don't look like one, you know, and yeah. so we'll crucify you like every other. And so we, how do we do it? We do it in really creative ways. I think it's, it's sort of, it's sort of deep within us. We sabotage um, God's lordship, God's kingship in a way, right? Not to get too theological, but um, I do think that we're looking for, um, we're looking for the church planter to be our savior, you know? So, so then we go into the city. I was just talking to a, a guy the other day, young pastor. He said, and, and this is, um, I'm not trying to out someone. I'm not going to say his name, but I think that this is a bit of the mentality. And I, I had a conversation with him, but he said, he was talking about a major city. And he said, when I think about that city, I think of a city that needs the gospel. And I think God is calling me to bring the gospel to that city. And I said to him, hey, I, like, I, I get your heart behind that. But have you ever wondered, are there any other churches there right now? <laughs> Are there any other pastors there? Do you think that there might be a historic black church in the, in the city that has been there for 150 years, faithfully serving, faithfully chipping away, faithfully showing up to people in need? You know, what would it look like for you to, instead of going there, like, I'm going to save the city of, you name it, San Francisco, Boston, New York, Cincinnati, whatever it is. I'm just going to go and see what God is doing already and participate in that. That yeah. might look really different, you know? Show where God is. And, and yeah, that's right. Yeah. God is already on the move. Let's just kind yeah. of discover where God is on the move and participate, you know, rather than he, being. He never even needed us. <laughs> right. I mean, like God, God delights to use it, you and me. Like yeah. God's not a podcaster, but you are, you know, but um, God delights to use you. But if you showed up, Mike, and you were like, my podcast will be the podcast that saves humanity. <laughs> so I'd be like, I think, I think Mike, you need to probably see a spiritual director or a therapist. Or blah, you know? <laughs> yeah. You're edging on narc, narc. <laughs> yeah. 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 That's right. That's right. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, that's the thing about the book I wanted to touch on is though it raises awareness about various types of narcissists and we could touch on the types soon yeah it actually if you're honest before god we all can have a, at least a yeah <laughs> it's convicting you yeah know? it's like i mean we all can because we have the flesh nature yeah we have to have at least a, a, a tinge of narcissism yeah 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 i yeah. often say that you know adam and eve grasped the fruit and they discovered what they'd done and they hid, right? And we've, we've grasped and we've hidden ever since. You know, we're participating in the pattern of grasping and hiding. And, um, you know, I, I could not write a book on narcissism in the church without knowing some of it, you know, as, a, as, a, um, as someone who's been impacted and traumatized by it, but also as an unwitting participant in it, you know, as that ideal hungry follower and at times showing up in my own egocentricity and my own, um, you know, my own unique manifestation of narcissism, which isn't quite as grandiose, but is nevertheless about me and ego-centered and, um, you know, has, has my own unique ways of manipulating out of people what I need you to give me, right? And so mm -hmm. this is where I think we all need to be doing our own work. Yeah. I would love to tap more because you uh, really went into um, shame. And woundedness type thing. Uh, yeah. 
I wanted to, I, I want to touch on it, even though we will touch on the types of narcissists and, and we probably should even define what it is for those who don't really know. Yeah. But what I also like is your book seems to be balanced. Yeah. Goes into a spectrum. Yeah. You know, goes into everyday Joes and Jills can actually still fall into narcissism without being a narcissist. Yeah. And also that there's hope for a narcissist, which you know, there's a mainstream belief that there's none at all. And yeah. we should yeah. all guard our hearts because they are not safe people. Yeah, yeah. So uh, I guess first would be, what is a narcissist? Uh, especially <laughs> by a counselor, by the DSM. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's usually where, you know, in the psychological world, that's where we go first. And um uh, and, and so if you go to the DSM five, which is like the Bible of psychology, right? You're going to see some, you're going to see some categories that sort of get at the kind of core features of narcissism. Um, one of those is grandiosity. Um, there's grandiosity, attention seeking, entitlement, lack of empathy, and then impairments in vocation, what I'd say impairments in vocational um, vocation and relationships. Um, some combination of, of those features, um, grandiose person, an entitled person, um, a, a low empathy person. So um, that describes what I would consider to be what we call the grandiose narcissist, what psychologists call the grandiose narcissist. This tends to be the, the person who uh, is a larger than life personality, um, uh, feels like all attention should be on him or her is entitled to your, uh, your allegiance, your loyalty is hard charging, high demanding, low empathy. In other words, if you share some of your pain, your story, he's going to say, wipe away those tears. There's no place for weakness here. And then the impairments of empathy and, in, in, uh, in relationships and vocation really get at, there's going to be some relational pain and there's going to be some pain in the workplace. In other words, um, your narcissism is going to impact the people around you. Mm. Um, that that kind of gets at the standard clinical definition of it. You know this already, but I try to tease that out by saying psychologists also say that there's not just a grandiose narcissism, but uh, a vulnerable narcissism, sometimes called more of a covert narcissism. Um, that tends to be an awe shocks kind of narcissist, you know. <laughs> Oh, I, I don't want to be in charge, but I'm I'm just as angry. I'm I'm my my uh, my demanding nature isn't as overt, but it comes out sideways in passive aggressive ways. Um, I tend to be t very self pitying. Uh, I tend to play the role of the victim. You know, no one no one gets how hard we work here. No one gets how faithful to the gospel we are at our church. You know. And so this more covert narcissism isn't that kind of on the big stage narcissism, but it's a, more of a behind the scenes. You better notice how big of a deal I am. Uh, even though my church is kind of small and my ministry isn't, you better notice uh, that, uh, that, I'm, that I'm special, that I've got, uh, I've got something that the world needs to see. Um, yeah. And then of course, you know, I, I tease out nine different, nine different kind of, and that's probably too much to get into, but what I, what I try to, what I'm trying to do with that is I'm trying to say, let's not say that this is a one glass fits all kind of 
personality, right? right. Let's not say that the caricature is the former president of the United States or the narcissistic athlete or the, you know, everyone wants to put it in, on one person or in one category. And I want to say, no, it's a lot more nuanced than that, you know? And people are more nuanced than that. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Could you um, at least uh, give sort of a nugget version of those types? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'll just give you a couple of different um, pictures of it, right? One might not look might not look as grandiose, but might be a little bit more heady, might be a little bit more intellectual. Um, this, this, this is a person who tends to be condescending. This is a person who tends to be more of like a, um, he shows up with more of an energy of, you don't get it. You don't know what I know. Um, he might be, uh, he, he might be an expert at what he does. He might be a theologian. He might be a journalist. He might be a um, a physician, but it's, it comes with an energy of, I'm smarter than you are. Does that um, relate to intellectual snobbery and credentials, uh, um, that kind of stuff? Oh yeah. Yeah. Look at all the letters next to my name. Look at all the schools I went to look at the length of my CV, my resume, you know? Um, but there's a different kind of narcissist that looks more like what I call the benevolent narcissist. This is look at how helpful I am. Look at, I show up to every need in the church, I'm on every committee. Uh, I'm a deacon. Um, why don't you? Why don't? Why don't people recognize how incredible I am? How come people don't recognize uh, what a gift I am to this church? Um, uh, there's more of a bully, sort of aggressive, dictatorial narcissist, and there's a little bit of a more of a wallflower narcissist. Uh, not not as relationally or emotionally as aggressive, but more of a passive aggressive kind of personality. Um, there's one that shows up as a more lawyerly. Um, like I'm going to tell you um, all the things that you did wrong and correct all the things that you mis mistaken. Um, I'm going to, I'm going to show you where all your failures are. And so, so like the Pharisees, uh, like the Pharisees. Right. So what I want to say is that um, let's just not say that it's just the performer on stage but it might be the legalist. It might be the condescending intellectualizer or the benevolent giver or the wallflower, passive aggressive wallflower or the dictatorial bully. All the above might be forms of narcissism. Thank you for unpacking that. It really helps. Yeah. yeah. Can you tease out real quick too? What is a healthy form? <laughs> Which is most people don't know. And yeah. I'm glad you touched on it. A healthy yeah. form of narcissism and maybe what what I would call soul care or yeah 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 it's a it's a good it's a whole it's a healthy attentiveness to oneself right it's a it's a good form of self care it's a it's a really um you know this comes under the I would say historically in the church this comes under the the guise of self knowledge or self awareness you know St mm. Augustine tells his story in the first nine chapters of the Confessions. And he begins chapter 10 of the Confessions with Noverum me, Noverum te. In other words, in the Latin, let me know myself. Let me know you, O Lord. You know, um, he tells a story. No one says, well, Augustine is narcissistic um, for telling his story in those first nine chapters. No, he's, he's trying to tease out how have I, how have I, how's my journey? How's my story been a journey as sort of losing and finding God? How have I, what are the mistakes that I've made along the way? What do I need to know about myself and my proclivities, you know, my sin patterns, you might say. Um, 
you know, in psychology, when we talk about healthy narcissism, we, we talk about uh, the, the young child who in the best of ways, it's like you, you've got a, a young child, right? Yeah. Um, is, is says, look at me, look at me, daddy. You know, I did a cartwheel. Look at me now at 45 years old. If you're saying, look at me, look at me. I did a sermon. <laughs> I did a great sermon. Look at me. That's a problem, you know, yeah. but I, we don't, we don't tell our kids at two years old, you're a narcissist. We say, Oh yeah, of course we all long to be seen. We all long to be known. And by the way, that's how God created us. Uh, God created us to be known, to be loved, you know, um, an intimate relationship, the, the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit creating us, God's good and beloved creation to be known in reciprocal relationship, right? Um, and so that's that's the core, right? I mean, um, I long to be known. Now, I have ways of going about getting that need met that can be destructive, sinful, if not destructive, right? Uh, attention-seeking um, kinds of ways. But that longing to be known is a God-given longing, you know? You know, that's a good one, too. Um, what's the difference between the God-given longing and an unhealthy seeking? Yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, it's. I think the unhealthy seeking is when we go about getting that need met on our own terms, right? And uh, this is where we get into the language of the early church of ordered desire and disordered desire, you know? Um, I think that that there's this there's a sense in which um, let, let me just put it this way. Um, when you asked me to tell me about who I was earlier on, what I wanted to say first actually was I'm the beloved of God. Um, I am known, I'm loved by God. I, at, at my best, Mike, I, um, I'm seen and I'm known and I'm held securely in that space. And then there are the days where I wake up and I'm like, Oh, wow. I, I wonder how I can get my needs met today. Um, I need a little bit more attention. Um, and my wife's not giving me enough attention or my colleagues are not giving me enough attention. I'm not getting enough credit for the thing that I'm doing over at the seminary these days. Um, or my girls don't appreciate me enough. And so I'm going to remind them of just how special I am, you know? Um, now, now listen, we all do this all the time. Um, and, you know, in, in that sense, I think you were saying earlier, hinting at, like, we all have a tinge of narcissism, right? We all do this all the time. And that's kind of the, the way sin plays itself out mm. historically. But do we know this about ourselves? And so do I, you know, do I, do, do I later go to one of my colleagues and say, boy, I was just fishing for your praise earlier today. And I'm sorry about that. Um, I, I'm seeing it now. And it was really inappropriate. You know, I was texting you trying to get you to retweet something that I put out there. What is that about? Like, so, you know, so that, that's it. You know, I mean, we just have to do the work of knowing how our sin patterns show up in the world. Yeah. It's a process. I, you know what? That's a good one too. How do we know how it shows up? Uh, that probably ties into what is accountability, but what is healthy accountability? Because there's been an abuse form of accountability and what it looks like is sort of something like this. Uh, open rebuke is better than secret love. And that's like the tenet of the whole thing, you know? And it's like, well, does it, does so accountability means let me go out of my way to put you down. No, 
No. So yeah, yeah, I would like to hear what you have to say on that. Well, I mean, ideally, when I, by the way, when I talk about discipline in the church, I say the core word there is discipleship. Um, where there's good discipleship, there's really good um, knowing and being known. There's really good accountability. I think that when you talk about the kind of emotionally healthy discipleship that Pete Scazzaro talks about, it is not Lone Ranger discipleship. It's I know you, you know me, we're in relationships. So let's say, for instance, you and I work together. You come to me and you say, hey, Chuck, I know you're my supervisor, but can I give you some feedback? And I say, yeah, Mike, Yeah, what, what do you need? What, what do you want to say? And you say, you know, there are times when I just feel like um, you value me. And there are other times where I feel like you use me. And there are a couple of instances lately where I've experienced that. Can I tell you more about that? And I say to you, yeah, tell me more about that. That's a really good, healthy accountability, yeah. curiosity, discipleship. Um, uh, and, and that's what I, that's ideally what I want to see um, in and among us, right? I think it's, it's when we um, begin to become punitive with those words and with, with, with our actions, when our discipleship um, becomes more like a kind of heavy-handed discipline, Mm. Um, accountability becomes a one-sided because I'm up here on the org chart. I get to tell you what to do, but you don't have any business telling me anything about how I show up. That's when it becomes a problem, you know, yeah. um, the real need for mutuality, um, complementarity when it comes to these, these relationships. Thank you. Um, yeah. How can seminaries change their educational structure to prevent narcissistic abuse from their students who will uh, be future church and ministry leaders? Yeah, well, so you're asking a seminary professor that question now, you know, and I think that's probably part of the reason I made the transition from pastoring is I wanted to be involved in, uh, in that work. And so we invite students to do the work of knowing themselves in the classic sense, you know, not just psychologically, but in the theological sense of knowing oneself, you know, I mean, I, I think ultimately the goal there is humility, uh, not a kind of um, like therapeutic in introspection, although that can be really helpful, but ultimately for the sake of humility. And so I invite my students to get, get to know their own stories. Um, let's connect the dots of your own story. Let's connect the dots of your family of origin how you learn to relate students will you know do some of that work and they'll say wow addiction goes back three generations in my family i wonder how it plays out in my life you know yeah. um i was doing this work by the way with a student young student who's like you know i'm just it was sort of a pharisaical i'm so glad that i'm not an alcoholic like my dad and my dad's dad and my dad's dad and i said okay so let's tease that out addiction is a pattern in your family how do you think that shows up for you and he says, well, I don't, I don't drink or I don't drink abusively. And I said, so, okay, how do you think that plays out for you? <laughs> well, it turns out that his obsessive compulsive tendencies play out in um, uh, like a, his, his uh, consuming of theological knowledge yeah. of it and his own condescension, like his own, and it, it alienates him from, from people. Some yeah. of the dynamics of addiction are playing out in ways that look pretty righteous, in other words, yeah. right? We invite students get to, to get to know their own stories. We invite them to pay attention to how they show up. We invite them into healthy relationships with one another. Um, in other words, into a community of hopefully honest people on the way 
alongside Jesus who are doing the work, the humble work of knowing themselves. Um, we invite them to pay attention to the systems that they find themselves in when they do their internships. So how are you experiencing the church you're in? Um, what are you observing about yourself and about others? And so we, we do a lot of this internal and external work to get them familiar enough with this so that when they get out there, at least they've got some capacity for it. Wow, that's nice. Can you tell me real quick about that program for those who might be interested, the school? and Yeah, yeah. So I teach at Western Theological Seminary. It's on the, on the lake uh, shore of Holland, Michigan. It's a beautiful town. It's a college town. Lots of great coffee shops, beautiful lake, snow in the winter, perfect weather in the summer. But um, the program is, is actually, it's actually here, we have the center for, um, um, we have the Eugene, the new Eugene Peterson Center here as well, if people know the work of Eugene Peterson. But, um, you know, it's, it's a program, it's a Master of Divinity program, but we've got other programs, Doctor of Ministry programs, where we're really focused on pastoral formation. Nice. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. What is the difference between someone who has narcissistic traits and someone who has full-blown narcissism? Yeah. Yeah. So now you're talking about that spectrum that you hinted at earlier. And this is where there's some, you know, you get into some uh, conversations with folks. Like when you talk about narcissism or healing the narcissistic person, they'll say that's impossible. And I want to say that, um, if we locate narcissism along a spectrum, in other words, if there's, um, if there's, uh, if there are, uh, you know, it's sort sort of like, um, there are some people who have a common cold, and then there are some people who have common cold and a really bad cough, and there are some people who have the flu. Think about narcissism in that way, okay? Well, if we think about it like that along a spectrum, what what we see is that there are some people who have the full blown flu. And we call that narcissistic personality disorder. When narcissistic personality disorder, the healing process, if there is a healing process, is not weeks, is not months, it's years. And this is why people say narcissism, narcissists can't change. Because when we talk about narcissistic personality disorder, it's so ingrained in their personality. That's why it's a personality disorder. It's so ingrained in their personality that change is like incremental. If there is change, it's, it's, it's very, very small. Whereas when we talk about the common cold or the cold with a cough, we're talking about narcissistic style or type where there may be proclivities or tendencies, but there's a self-awareness. And so it might, this might be the person who's like, ah, yeah, I see that in myself. I want to grow. I want to change. Um, but I also know that I impact people in a way that, that hurts them. And so there's a, there's a self-awareness. There's a capacity to repent. And so the higher you are in, on the spectrum, let's just say it's zero to 10. When you get up in that seven, eight, nine, 10 range, I, I'm wanting to say, yeah, you need to do really serious work. And you probably need to step away from your church if you're a pastor to do that work. If you're in like the four or five range, three, four, five range, like, yeah, maybe you can remain in your pastoral work, but let's get you in sabbatical. Let's get you in therapy. Let's, get, let's see your willingness to, to ask the really hard questions. Does that make sense? Yes. Uh, what is real, uh, real quick? What is a sabbatical? I know I might know myself, but a lot of the audience may not know. Yeah. Uh, it's a growing movement, I would say. Yeah. It's sabbatical, like Sabbath, the root core word there is a season of, of um, rest, a season of wholeness, a season to get away, to stop, 
to, to rest from your labor, you know, the hustle. Um, yeah. Rest from the hustle to not be a producer. And so many of us feel like we have to produce. Yeah. We're still living. We were still mentally living in Egypt where we were uh, productive, where we were commodities. Right. And so it's about <laughs> stepping out of that mindset, stepping out of that situation and being in a place where we can really rest and become whole. That's good. Um, and then you, what you unpacked just not too long ago, I know you going into that, what touches on the word is um, septic, narcissistic system. Yeah. I think that's a good way to put it. Yeah. Uh, yeah, the reason, yeah. The reason I use that is like when there's sepsis or when, when there's a, like to use language that we're all familiar with now, a virus it just doesn't, it doesn't just impact one person it impacts everyone. Right. And so now it's, it's not just the one person in the room, it's everyone's impacted, you know? And so, so that's where we have to really tease out, like, how is it the system impacted? I, a little while ago, I told you the story of a church removing the narcissistic senior leader and then saying, well, the problem is out of the system now. And me saying, Oh no, 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 no. We've got much more work to do to tease out how this is impacted uh, the rest of you and how the virus continues on in the system, how the sepsis continues on, the infection in the system continues on. Yeah. Thank you. I have two last ones and we can uh, wrap it up. Um, yeah. I really appreciate this. Uh, uh, in your book, you talk about the importance of healthy, um, of healing, sorry, of healing ourselves. You say the most important components of feeling trauma in oneself is awareness and intentionality. Can you address that yeah. for our audience? Yeah. So um, imagine narcissism as like um, an automatic response. I mean, it's all the person knows. Um, if I say to someone who's narcissistic personality disorder, you show up in ways that are really angry, if not rageful, he will say to me, no, I don't. I'm passionate. I mean, mm. this is just passion for the gospel. This is passion for the Lord, you know. That, and so it's all, almost like an automatic response, right? Um, awareness um, invites us to pay attention to our automatic responses. You know, uh, neurobiologists tell us that 90 to 95% of our, our daily activity is, is, is automatic. You know, we're yeah. living life on repeat. And so well. I want to pay attention to how I show up. And that involves a real intentional process of, of maybe inviting people in to say, hey, can you tell me a little bit of, of how you experience me and me becoming aware of my style of relating? I use that language ad nauseum. My students know it well, your style of relating. What's my style of relating? Um, am, I, am I domineering? Am I condescending? Am I perfectionistic? Am I... Um, benevolently helpful, as I talked about earlier? Am I, am I hypervigilant? What's my style of relating? And so as I get to know myself, it's like, oh, wow. So you experienced me as condescending. You know, I always just thought that I was helping you with all my great knowledge and wisdom. Um, <laughs> tell me more about my condescension and how that impacts you. Leads to humility. Aware, good self-awareness always leads to humility um, or should lead to humility, I should say, right? It doesn't always lead to humility. Sometimes it leads to, as I say in the book, faux vulnerability, faux vulnerability. Mm, now I'm going to yeah. use a little bit of self-knowledge to convince you that I know what I'm doing, know what I'm talking about, that I'm humble. But good, uh, good self-awareness leads to humility. And I think that's what I'm longing for 
to be honest with you, Mike, that's what I'm longing for in pastors. That's what I'm longing for in the church. You know, what, what is humility? Uh, I don't think anyone has ever asked me that question, but <laughs> um, like in podcasting and stuff, I don't think I've, but when I, when I think about humility, I really think of the, the core, the root of the word humus the, of the earth. You know, um, it's like my favorite liturgical holiday is Ash Wednesday. Why? You are dust, and to dust you shall return. You are of the earth. You are hum- like a lack of humility is I, I live above uh, all of you. You know, I don't have to live with limitation. The narcissist doesn't believe he's equal to you and me, Mike. Like he doesn't believe that he has the same limitations as you and me. You know, he's a little bit better. He's a little bit above us. You know, he's not as, you know, you know, he looks at me and he says, you know, that guy, Chuck DeGroat, he's, he's just kind of weak. You know, he talks a lot about pain and woundedness and vulnerability. Like if he really did his work, he'd be, he'd get over all that stuff. You know, he's just a whiner and a complainer and a, you know, and so, I mean, I think that humility is, is to be, to be right where Jesus is mm. of the earth, you know, the crucified Christ, the one who knows suffering, who went to hell and back for us, you know? Yeah. yeah. Incarnating. Yeah, that's right. That's right. I, um, that's honestly, I, I, I didn't touch on this, but my wife and I, we both have long-term chronic illnesses and, wow. um, connecting with Christ being down to earth, you know, yeah. Um, yeah. incarnating being in the trenches was very helpful through the journey. Yeah. Um, so is there hope for people who, um, you know, they, they might have say PTSD and complex trauma. I know Diane Lingberg touches on complex trauma. Um, is there hope for people like that who are victims and, oh, yeah. and they could react to these things, even maybe angry or, I mean, yeah. I know that it's a secular source, but there's a guy you wrote on complex trauma. He says the four Fs, the fight, flight, fawn, and freeze. Yeah. 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 So, you know, and yeah. uh, you like my wife and I, we love serving the Lord and getting in the trenches and, and we didn't ask for it. It's just something, you know, Yeah. we, we don't take it lightly. We kept pushing it off for doing ministry and, yeah. It was more of like, you got to do this type thing. Um, There's things you're talking about that, that need to be talked about type thing. Um, So of course, having healthy accountability and so forth, but I'm bringing this up because there's young people who want to serve, do ministry and might even want to help with home churches and, uh, you know, even, even uh, church plants and, there's unsafe <laughs> church leaders and church planters, but is there a healthy form of all that? What does that look like? And is there hope for those who are victims of trauma, but they're, you know, they're, they're yeah. being inside, they're trying to heal. They're yeah. To- yeah. I mean, years ago, I, I kind of started a church within a church. It was a bit of a church plant, but it was like, I called it the, the worship service for freaks and geeks like me mm. been through pain. And it was, we just tried to create a safe place for people to show up mm the simple sort of message and participation in the liturgy and, um, and, and coming to the table together. You know, I think that there's hope. I think it's, you know, it's about creating places of safety. There's a longing for safety. Um, Trauma survivors need safety. They need places where they're not activated so that they don't go back into their fight, flight, freeze, fall Mm -hmm. mode. So, 
and they can be invited out to be wholehearted, to be vulnerable participants in, in worship and in, in the life of the community. And so it's possible. It takes, it takes um, really wise and healthy and um, leaders who've done their own work and who know trauma, right. I think sometimes still, but That's I have hope. Yeah. That's good. It's very encouraging. Well, um, num- number one, what is the site that people can find you? Um, yeah. Uh, www.chuckdegroat.net is my uh, website where they can find some stuff. It's easy. <laughs> And um, for those of you who don't know, you can go on Amazon or most major bookstores to check out when narcissism comes to the church. And uh, we ourselves, through Valerie, intend to have group discussions around the book as well. So it might be nice to have you back sometime for a Q&A, yeah. a group, if you would like. Um, I'd love that. Sending messages that you'd like to part with in prayer. Um. Oh, yeah, if you don't mind, yeah, I ask everyone I interview uh, if they could share the gospel. Yeah, and would you like me to close in prayer? Was that what you're asking? Yes, me? sir. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I, my simple I, I, what I've put put in some of the books that I've been people ask me to sign is follow Jesus. I think Jesus points us in the way. Jesus lives the way. You know, um, the disciples were called to follow Jesus. They were like, "What in the world is this?" Um, the Sermon on the Mount doesn't make sense. You know, you're supposed to be a military leader. You're supposed to be a wise uh, Pharisee. I think the way of Jesus is always confusing and disruptive and disorienting, and it challenges us at a core level. And so follow Jesus, you know, um, and uh, and you'll, you'll find your way like the disciples did. You know, Peter was stubborn, but he found his way. It cost him in the end, but he found his way, right? I was, so, I was more like a Peter. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah, follow Jesus. And I think in, in many, many years of following Jesus for me, uh, that, that doesn't mean, Hey Chuck, you've got it figured out. A lot of the time it's, Hey, here's another area that I want to invite you to take a look at. Here's another place that you've stumbled that I want to invite you to just pay attention to how you're showing up. So that would be it. Maybe I can pray that for your, listeners as we go sure and um before you pray if you can just share the gospel for those who may not know oh yeah yeah and then pray yeah yeah well i mean i i would say that what i just shared is for you um you are you are the brokenhearted like i am you are the wounded you're the needy uh you live out of unhealthy patterns that uh that i live out of that we all live out of that sabotage life and joy and flourishing and abundance and connection um, and, and Jesus meets you along that path, not to shame you, not to condemn you, but to say, Hey, I've got a better way. So follow me along the way. And, um, and I'll show you the path to life. Uh, it might be complicated at times, but I'll, I'll show you the way. And then your prayer, uh, if you can cover those who aren't saved, those who are searching or in the middle of, you know, searching their own faith and yeah. Of course, those who are saved, leadership, that kind of yeah. thing. Let's pray. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, um, for all within earshot of this podcast right now, um, for those who might be listening right now, snarking at the Jesus talk, for those who are disoriented and deconstructing faith because they've been hurt, for those who 
our wholehearted followers of you um, meet us all wherever we find ourselves um, in the midst of our shame, in the midst of our confusion, uh, where we've been hurt, where we've been abused, where we've been terrorized, where we've, where we've fooled ourselves, where we've sabotaged our own joy, where we've hurt other people, where we've abused the things you've given us to steward wisely. Um, would you meet us as you are prone to do um, with abundant grace? 